0: Welcome to the Innovation Engine podcast produced by 3Pillar Global. I'm your host, Jennifer Ives. I've spent my career helping organizations digitally transform through developing revenue-generating products that customers engage with and love. Now, I'm sitting down with today's innovators, those on the front lines of digital transformation, to learn how they did it and what they've learned. Today, we're talking with innovation and technology leader, Sheila Jordan. Sheila is currently the Chief Digital Technology Officer at Honeywell, a role she took on last January, just before the world as we know it changed significantly due to COVID, and her digital transformation experience became even more important and more urgent than ever. Sheila has led innovation and digital initiatives at Symantec, Cisco, and Walt Disney World, and is the author of a best-selling five-star rated book that has impacted my life in wonderful ways and many others, You Are Not Ruining Your Kids, a positive perspective on the working mother, working dads, I highly recommend it as well. My good friend and fellow power executive, Kim Mirzimi, who leads the technology portfolio here at 3Pillar Global, we're both excited to hear Sheila's perspective on leadership, her current work at Honeywell, and the lessons she's learned throughout her career that are guiding digital transformation at Honeywell and beyond. Sheila, welcome to the Innovation Engine podcast. Well, thank you, Jennifer. It's fantastic to be here. Excellent. Excellent. We're going to get right into it because there are a number of questions I've known of you and about you for a long time. We met through Business Transformation 150, and I've just been um, uh, in honor, really, of, of so much that you've done in your career and so much that you're continuing to do in your career, and especially now at Honeywell. So- I just want to start out with you list one of your strengths right there on your LinkedIn page as I am a change agent. I'm a passionate leader who successfully inspires and motivates a team working collaboratively across an organization. I love it. You put it out there, you let people know it right from the beginning who you are, how you approach life, how you approach your teams, and the work that you do. What traits or accomplishments in other women in technology have inspired you, and how do you believe you inspire? other women in technology who are coming up through their career now.
1: So the truth that I look that inspired me is you know those that will take those risks, risk a risk taker really dreaming of the impossible, you know, and because with the advancement in technology, almost all business problems can be solved. You know, technology is now caught up. So it's those leaders that can see, you know, beyond the corners and see around the corners and see how I can bring innovation and in technology into the business. But not for the, not not technology for the sake of technology, but really because I'm solving a real business problem. The other thing I think that women often brings the equation is empathy, compassion. I mean, they really see all sides of our employees and the people that are actually doing the work. So those
0: those are the attributes that really do inspire me as well. Yeah, it's so important. And and as as companies grow and we become more global in, in the work that we do, that empathy and understanding diversity of people and different perspectives. And I thought it was such a great point that you made that technology is there to solve it, right? The technology is there. It's uh, it's the leaders who are bringing forward you know, their perspectives. And
1: leaders and, and the teams, quite honestly. When I think about digital, and I know we'll talk about that later in the agenda, but digital transformation is really, there's four components. It's technology. It's the people, it's data, and it's the end-to-end process. And you really can't do much. So many people will, get, will gravitate to the technology, but when you're really trying to drive change and, and really trying to drive digital and how you do things differently at work and how you, how you actually improve a process or have a better interaction with customers or think about how you're going to engineer a product differently, it's those four elements that come together. And the people is, is I think, the most important.
2: Love the answer, Sheila, and love like the four elements and really want to lean into the people part of that, specifically around women and women in leadership. In your mind, what's the most significant barrier that you feel women in leadership, especially those in the technology world, are facing today?
1: Okay, so the first thing I think the answer is, is that you, know, you have to get grounded on the fact that you have the job. I think sometimes we mix the fact that for female and in tech, and so when I walk into Honeywell, I am the Chief Digital Technology Officer. When I walked into Semantic, I was the CIO. And when you open up the door, I mean, every every minute of every day, it's it's really complicated. It's it's pretty difficult, and you have to make sure that you know you remind yourself that you have the job. So and oh by the way, I happen to be female. I'm not going to hide that. I like makeup and jewelry and clothes and shoes, and I'm not going to hide that. So I think sometimes it's our own mindset that gets in the way. And I don't go around the room and contact any women in the room because, you know, I got a job to do and I have the, the, the specific role. So my encouragement for women listening is that when you have the job, be the job. Like you have the role and, and almost stop questioning yourself that you have the role. Just e- execute against it and execute the job and do it the best way you can.
2: Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Were there any experiences that you found in that in this role or your other roles that were unexpected around that exact point?
1: Well, I would say a couple of things. One is over over my career and the fact that I'm in IT. I mean, you, I had to get rid of the fact, get rid of the notion that I wanted to be light. You know, getting light, of course, we all want to be light. But really, for me, it's much more important to be respected. You make, I make hard decisions every day. When I make a hard decision on one technology or one solution or one area, I'm not making other people happy. So one is I found you've got to get grounded in the data. You've got to get grounded in the analytics. You have to you know, explain the why you've made a certain decision that you have. And again, it's you want to be respected. And you earn that respect through rationalizing the decisions, explaining the why behind it, explaining you know, how we're moving and inspiring a team. And it's not necessarily getting, making sure that you're liked across the organization. That just kind of is impossible.
0: At Honeywell, what does it mean to be a future shaper?
1: Yeah, so in general, a future shaper makes tomorrow better. And Honeywell employees around the world may define that a little bit differently. From being curious about the world around them to developing the next generation technology, a future shaper really is someone who observes and defines business needs and is ready to make them happen. It's kind of our internal branding. We want everyone in Honeywell to be a future, future shaper.
0: How does the, the organization really encourage future shaping?
1: Yeah, so as you know, I joined Honeywell a little over a year ago. One of the things I'm super impressed about is that we have nine behaviors. In the nine behaviors, most companies have values or behaviors, and sometimes it becomes that poster on the wall. Well, that is not the case with Honeywell. Our behaviors are very, very strong. Our performance reviews are about results and how you act and how you are managing and showcasing their behaviors. And it's like, think big, make it happen, act with urgency, be bold, be courageous. And so those behaviors influence the entire culture, the behaviors inform the culture, and that really is allowed. So everyone's, you know, given permission or you're in a culture that it's okay to break glass. It's okay to big, think big and make it happen. And then, of course, that defines the future shaper.
0: Yeah. Has that... Um... That kind of rolls into the next question I want to ask you, which is how has your past experience as a leader influenced your current work? And you at Honeywell, you touched on it a little bit just a couple of minutes ago. You actually touched on it again through Future Shapers and your description of that. What are some key lessons or lessons learned? So, key takeaways and lessons learned that you'd like to highlight for our community of listeners? Again, leaders of technology, digital transformation, global businesses around the world. What do you think they should know? What do you think they there's should keep going? Them-
1: I have a couple of philosophies here. One is there's only there's only one constant today. Everything else is changing. We really think about the dynamics, pre-COVID, post-COVID, but technology is changing, business processes changing, customers' needs are changing. And the only constant you have is that there are 24 hours a day. And you get to prioritize what you do in those 24 hours a day. You know, John Chambers taught me when I was at Cisco, and I repeat this all the time, activity does not equal results. And we can get busy. We can get busy, busy, busy at 12 meetings, 14 meetings, and just have all this activity. And my, my visual of that is the hamster in the wheel that just spins and spins and spins. And so what I think it's really important, and what I try and do every single day, is where do I want to spend my time? What are the things I want to work on that's going to really deliver impact results? You know, if I go to an, a meeting and there's IT, 10 IT people in a room, I don't need to be there. So part of prioritizing your effort and your time and your, your value add is what are the things that you make a conscious decision on what you can really add value on versus, you know, what your team can. And that goes with, you know, empowering your team, inspiring your team they want to step up, they want the spotlight, give them those opportunities, let them take on some big initiatives, you know, have the support and have the, have the support for them to do that. But I think it's super important that when you're a leader with a large team is you take risks with the people, you give them opportunities to shine, you're there to support them in case it doesn't work exactly the way that you expected. But the reality is, is that you get to decide how you want to spend those 24 hours a day. And that's really where you focus on the things that have the biggest impact and the biggest results for the company.
0: Interesting, and in other forums, you've mentioned the, the word or the phrase, I guess the word followship, you might've touched on that. What do you mean by followship? Because I'd, I'd love for our community to understand your definition of followship. I think it's, it's a deep one, it's an important one.
1: Yeah, I, I do have a philosophy on this, and I think leadership is all about followership. You can't be a leader if you don't have people that want to come work for you. And you can't be a leader and, and have a, a following and people that want to come work from you if you don't value the employees, value the work that they're doing, sponsor them, you know, develop them. I have lots of programs that I've done historically in the IT organization and I'm now doing at Honeywell. But um, one is, you know, I really, really believe in movement. I carefully say movement, and not rotation. But in IT, for example, I love to hire athletes and I love to hire really strong athletes that can really move around. You know, my job, if I do it successfully, is when and if I ever leave Honeywell, I've got five people to take my role over. So the best thing to do is if you're running infrastructure and they're an athlete and they're a talent and they're a good leader, have them go run applications or applications go run data. Now, initially, everyone gets super uncomfortable with that. But the reality is the best, everything in IT is connected, like everything around technology. So you might write infrastructure, but applications can't run without infrastructure. Data can't without application, So we're all really connected. So however you choose to organize the structure is one thing. But the reality is, is when someone someone goes and walks in someone else's shoes and takes on a different role, what are you doing? You're learning and growing and you're now, what used to make you frustrated or you didn't understand those people over there, you have them go run it. And it's just such a great career development opportunity for the individuals' growth. But also, I really believe in If someone's run something for numerous years, you get kind of tainted. You're defending your own strategy. Whereas if you go continue shaking it up a bit, it really does um, make the team stronger. It gives the individual an opportunity to grow and develop. And you also get a fresh set of eyes looking at a problem from a different lens.
2: Uh, that that's fabulous. I love it, and it's just really, it's just uh, elevating it up. It's just all empowerment, right? When I think of that, followership, empowerment of your leaders and your team members. And you had mentioned Sheila uh, a, c- a couple minutes ago of, of talking about deciding where you wanted to spend your time. And so let's switch it up a little bit and go to an, the next topic. And you know, you started in at Honeywell a little bit over a year ago, and you were approaching this. Jigsaw puzzle uh, of digital transformation at Honeywell, and, and Honeywell is this multifaceted organization, huge conglomerate. How are you approaching that? How are you? How did you decide to get in? And how did? You, how are you approaching that puzzle, if you will?
1: So it's a great question, Kim. And actually, it's one of the reasons why I joined Honeywell. When I was leaving Semantic, I really wanted to take on the next big adventure and really apply all my experience at. Disney when I did CRM years ago, Cisco and I learned a lot about the transformation of applications and, and, and really the internet at Cisco. And then Semantic, we did a ton of transformational effort over the course of six years. But when I got to when I met Darius, the CEO and chairman of the management team, and during the interview process, it was clear that he's made a big they've made a big bet on digital. And so during the interview process, we talked a lot about what that was. And quite honestly, I was a little bit surprised when I entered in the gates and and I came in a little naive because I did like nine transformational things at Semantic. We we uh, you know we went to public cloud, we did subscription billing, we consolidated seven ERPs. I mean, what I thought was a pretty big deal. And I walk into Honeywell, and there's actually 42 active transformational programs happening. Every single strategic business unit, every single function has a digital agenda. And you're right, IT and data sit in the core of that. So the good news is that Darius and the management team have an extremely robust and really profound vision and they've been at that for two or three years. The other part of digital, if I go back to the four pillars, remember it's data, technology, process, and people. A lot of the technology um, has been in flight and almost completed. In fact, we have 19 strategic platforms in the organization, everything from an ERP to our supply chain um, planning tool to our marketing content to CRM. So but there's 19 Strategic platforms, of which 18 will be completed by the end of 2021. So we'll have almost 100 almost them completed. So if the platforms are done, so you think about the platforms, then what's the next evolution? You really want to get your arms around the enterprise data warehouse. You want to use data so that data is is really consolidated and data is taking from those transactional systems into a enterprise data warehouse, so we can see those insights. You can see What's happening in one part, you can stitch together the marketing information to the sales information, which really inform potentially if we're getting customer feedback, it's informing the product developers. So today, most organizations are organized functionally and everyone has been historically optimizing the function. I'm optimizing marketing, sales or engineering or you know each function. But the reality and the reason I love IT and I love being in this role is digital is all about horizontal. Digital allows you to connect and should connect many functions in the organization to create a customer or employee experience that is simply seamless, intuitive, and connected. And so the reason I love IT is we are one of the few functions, I think, in a company that naturally see horizontally. We have to. We can't go fix the server and break something else. We can't fix the data and break the application. So we naturally see horizontally and, and systemically, and now with digital it really allows the business to do the same thing. An example I use all the time is I use this airline app, you know, and I can book my family of four on an international vacation in seven minutes or less without pulling out a credit card, a loyalty number, a profile, anything. And it's because, and when you think about that experience, it literally is seven minutes. The reason why it still takes seven minutes is two minutes of it is selecting seat assignment. The airlines quite haven't figured out how to automate seat assignment, which is my wish list for the airline industry, because I like the window seat, not the aisle. But the reality is, is when you have that experience, you really are crossing multiple functions. You're going from sales, to marketing, to branding, to packaging, pricing, to actually credit card and finance, because you're processing the credit card. And that's digital. And I, when I think about as most companies have to struggle with digital because you're trying to digital, you're digitizing a function, which is great, but you're never going to get that extreme value unless you think about it horizontally and connect those processes together.
2: Absolutely. And it's really interesting that you're speaking of that. Are there things that you found? There's something I want to get to in a moment, which is where you're touching on you know, the data and in, in the technical infrastructure of the data versus the people's data, that's gonna be my next question. But following up on this one in the jigsaw puzzle, what is working well? It sounds like everything's working well at Honeywell. Are there anything that has been a challenge around that? I mean, 19 strategic platforms, 42 initiatives, that's a whole lot of stuff. And there's a lot of room for how do we do things better? How do we improve that, you know, having that look back, what would you say is working well in that process of all those things? And what has not been working well in your opinion?
1: Well, I think I think um, just a question, I maybe want to rephrase it. First of all, I think digital has to be viewed as a journey. When you've got all those balls in the air and you've got all this change that you're driving in an organization, I think it's crazy if anybody expects perfection. You can't be perfect at everything, you've got to drop a few balls. Now, again, with the use of technology and agile and DevOps and you know, each release has defects, you fix the, next, the defects, the next release. So we've all gotten kind of used to agile DevOps and moving fast through the things that you're learning. So I think the biggest thing is really making sure that you really, you can't expect perfection, but instead evolution and change. And as long as you're making progress and you're moving down and each quarter, each month is continued progress. I think we've all gotten used to it. In fact, <laughs> I tease my 84 year old mother all the time, but You know, she doesn't quite understand what I do for a living. And so because she has her iPhone, the last five years she's had her iPhone, and she goes, I could update my operating system on my iPhone by pushing this red button. You know, why is your job so hard? But it's so funny when she says that because she doesn't want to say it like that. But When she says that, it's because we've all gotten accustomed to the next release, the next iteration. We know if something's broken right now, it's going to get fixed soon. And so I think it's a really significant mindset change for those that have been in traditional IT years ago where everything has to be dotted and everything has to be perfect. And, you know, I think perfection, we all hear the statement, perfection is an is a enemy of speed. And I think in digital, it's exactly that, right? Especially in digital, because you're having a conversation digitally with your customers, partners, and employees. They're going to tell you what needs to get fixed. They're going to communicate what needs to, what's broken, like my example on the, on the airline application they're gonna to say to you what they would like next. So if you you really listen and you take that feedback and you realize understand where they're stuck, that is just new product requirements that we should be incorporating into the next journey of that experience. So anyway, so I think so one is I think you gotta, you gotta like speed overtakes perfection. And the second thing is there is a lot of change management in this. I mean a lot. And so in fact if you're digitizing some people's jobs, you know, from and I'll just take data for example. When you get sophisticated at having data, most organizations are spent, there's people that are spent getting the data, the hunters and gatherers. And yet if we get that all fixed in from a technology and enterprise data warehouse perspective and it's all centralized, you don't gather and hunt anymore, you analyze. So the notion, the movement would be hunting and gathering to becoming an analyst or a scientist. So I think that the leaders have to understand the change necessary and then what are the capabilities and talent gaps that you might have in the company and then how do you train and develop that so that you really are moving the people along the same journey as the technology is as it gets to digital
2: and, and well i'm just going to say thank you sheila because it was a great lead into my next question in that uh, you talk about right hunting and gathering and then you get to analyzing i would actually suggest the next after that is providing actionable insights from that analysis right and so let's switch it up and go when we look at think about it from a cyber perspective one of the things that we've been looking at and have been uh, researching is that you know cyber doesn't seem it's not any longer about just the technical infrastructure of the data right but rather it's the people's data the data belongs to those people and technology is the constituent really of that data and that those people's data. So how do you pre- able, you know how do how do how do you get to that point where from analyze to being able to provide relevant insights to customers that actually can leverage that data? You just gave the example in the airline where you know now you're giving that back the customer experience for you is really good. Maybe it's a 9 out of 10, but how do they get it to a 10, right? And how do they leverage the data to provide insights and have their customers at the same time provide those insights back to them? Now, Forge is something interesting to us around there. Where is Forge in that data journey?
1: Well, Forge is super exciting. So for those of the people listening, they don't necessarily understand, but uh, the company's made a pretty big bet on making us go to a software company. And so we've taken a lot of the hardware products that we've sold and we're turning, we're, we're turning them into software and creating Honeywell-connected enterprise. The best way that I can explain that is, you know how we all use our phones to really run Nest and Ring at our homes? Well, now take that up a level. Actually, Honeywell controls 25% of the non, non-residential non commercial property across the world. So we can kind of the controls that run the HVAC systems, the, 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 the controls of the, of the building and the physical locations, home building, uh, building technologies. Honeywell Connected Enterprise's vision is to connect all that from a software standpoint. So the person in charge of real estate for a big multinational conglomerate can really run and see everything that's happening in their Dubai location or Ohio location from their phone, from Forge Analytics. And really, it's the ability to see, is the HVAC system up? What's the air quality like? Is my sensors or miners, are they performing? So everything in the building, not just corporate IT, is being able to see through Forge Analytics. So the best way, and this is why I get so excited about what Honeywell's doing, is it really is the intersection between IT data, the corporate data that would be used to run the company and the in the organization, and OT. So it's really where IT and OT data are gonna come together. And right now, I mean, we just have where in forge analytics is the ability, the window into seeing that and analyzing that and being super predictive about you know, the, the quality of that, the quality of the experience and also some opportunities and very predictive, if there is an incident, they can actually respond to that, that incident pretty quickly. It, it's a game changer, in my opinion.
2: Absolutely, 100%. It's super exciting. Um, we're reading up on that and we're excited for you and to see what happens mm-hmm. and how that uh, evolves. Last question for me, and Jennifer, I'm going to hand it over to you again. So infrastructure still is super core at the end of the day, um, and and how do you see infrastructure management is not going to go away? You've been at Cisco, you are well-versed in infrastructure management. How do you see that playing into industrial IoT?
1: Well, it's a great question, and, and I'm so glad you mentioned it, but I just think that, you know, we, we as consumers can't, as people and consumers can't live without the network, right? And we've all had our own experiences at home with COVID, and when you have your on, you're trying to work, your husband's trying to work, the kids are trying to work, or whatever, it's like you now the biggest argument in the family is the, the use of the network, right? And the sharing of the network. So I think we've all gotten just super much more aware of how important the network is. So and when you think about the network, it's really about speeds and feeds, right? How fast can you actually process data and get across the quality of being up, the resiliency, the availability. So there's a lot of stuff happening in this space from a technology standpoint. You know, uh, 5G is coming out. Other companies are not, uh, talking about 5G, which is the cellular part of that, which is going to increase the speed of our phones and the quality and what you can do on your phone. So think about video. Think about the speed of being able to do all that content crossing over, at say, 5G. But in a corporate network, it's just so much more important. And you think about all the things that we've done traditionally. Like, you got to make sure you're connecting all the buildings and physical locations across the globe. But also you want to do that in ways that are more modern and more contemporary. One of the things we're rolling out is something called SD-WAN, which SD-WAN is a software networking capability. So if you think about it before, it was really built on hardcore circuits and every site had to be connected. And when, when a site went down and when you lost connectivity because there was a natural disaster or something happened, you have to call the the carriers and get the circuit replaced. And it was just a long process. Uh, inexpensive. Well ST WAN allows you to have that connectivity from the corporate facility as all the local branches and connect that vis-a-vis software. So think about that for a second. If I see congestion in one location, I can from my from my from my computer in, in Charlotte can reroute that traffic in that congestion. If we decided to do an M&A and we want to connect that building pretty quickly, you can do that in days, not months. So the whole ability to have this kind of resiliency and this ability to really run the connectivity across organization is super, super important. So, and there's a whole bunch of other changes happening at the network layer as well, data center consolidation and what we're doing, of course, with all the data centers. But I just firmly believe that connectivity is even more important than it was before. Just because of our own personal as a consumer, when you layer that into a corporation running, the network just has to be up. Like it's just there's just no excuse for that. The network has to be we expect it like electricity in our homes. Like you flip the switch and it works. But now you layer that into the manufacturing and you think about IoT and smart factory, and think about a smart factory where it has all automation and all machinery and it's smart and it's more machines than people, then you can't work without the network. So It's going to get more and more and more important as we evolve more into the automation of the manufacturing sites.
0: You talked in, and this is this is a great segue into the next um, the next question that we have for you, and it's around data, right? So we were talking about Internet of Things, we're talking about connectivity. You've talked a lot about data and data talking to each other, and how and how Honeywell and other large and small organizations are really relying on data and you know to build out the product, to have different products talk to one another, to to garner insights from the data. What is um, well, maybe, maybe I'll rephrase that. Do you agree that data strategy is maturing from connectivity to interoperability based on some of what you just shared?
1: Yeah, so I'd say that a little differently. I actually say would say it a bit stronger. Data is the currency for digital transformation. Digital transformation doesn't work if you don't have data. And then when I think of data, we all talk about this big bracket, but I really do think about it as two different ways. One is the data that you need to use as you thread through that experience. My my airline example, Sheila Jordan, here's the profile. Here's how many times I've traveled. It's all that information about me. Then here's the profile about my family. And now like where you've traveled before and where you want to travel. And then of course, data is a component of data is my credit card information. And all that is seamlessly or magically all in my profile and my record. And that just completely shifts through that experience. Another example that I think is a bit more compelling is let's look at Amazon. I'm a big shopper. Who isn't a shopper of Amazon right now, right? We order all the stuff that brown ugly box, sorry, Amazon, but that brown ugly box shows up in days. Uh, and all of a sudden you're excited to you get all the products and service you want. Well, um, I, you know, you can buy everything. So when you go on, to, when you think about Amazon, I have a, a, a house still in California in, in, in on the lake. And when I leave there, that house, I go through all the inventory of what I want. And literally the last time I did this over the holidays, I ordered Windex and a small generator and everything in between on that experience. And so when you think about the number of products they have and the supply and distribution that they're doing, and they're getting to us with the thousands of partners that they're working through, the thing that's stitching that all together again is data and process. So it's become so much more important as you're thinking about these digital transformations and how all that has to flow. So that's interesting and great, and that's about the customer experience but you can't do that and you can't improve the customer experience unless you go back to Kim, what you were talking about is you got to have the discipline and the skills inside to look for those insights. And I loved how you said AI because I thought I named AI to be actionable insights, not artificial intelligence, but you said it for me. So anyway, we'll debate about that. But I do think AI is actionable insights. Data resides in those transactional systems. It's interesting and great. And you can look at your bookings and, revenue and expenses in arrears you know with transactional you look at what happened that last month but insights take that data from those different transactional systems and find out Sheila Jordan our our customer base wants to get seat assignments automated on their airline so it's the insights that really drive this extreme value and i think it's it's super important we're gonna, and we're going to and again the technology is is available we're doing a lot of AI machine learning within Honeywell. We're doing a lot of bots within Honeywell, automation within Honeywell bots and stuff. So the technology has caught up. And so now what you have to make sure is that you have the people and the skills and talents to be able to use that information and do something with it. And that's where I think is still somewhat of a gap across most industries.
0: Yeah, Kim and I breathe, uh, live and breathe data, um, uh, digital transformation uh, as, as part of our job as a leader at Three Pillar Global. And I feel like I just took a masterclass. I believe I just <laughs> took a masterclass in digital transformation. And you you were so succinct. And I, I actually I was right, I was looking away from the camera for a moment because I needed to write down a couple of notes as to how you phrased a few of those um, a few of your ideas because they were so uh, um, so so helpful something that we do with all of our guests is a speed round. And so we're just going to ask some questions. Tell us off the top of your head what you think. And the first question is, and it's a two-parter, what was your first interaction or memory related to technology? And then you kind of already answered it, but what is your favorite technology today?
1: So I'm going to date myself, but I think my first interaction with technology was either Lotus Notes or the one project I did at Disney was Dumb Terminals. You know, it was pre- PCs, free laptops. So anyway, those are my first interaction. And then, yes, my favorite technology is my phone. Like it's just we're glued to them today. And and actually, I just recently read something that said, do you know the least used application on your phone is actually the phone? So people are texting, using apps, using everything way more than they actually do the phone call. So I just thought that was fascinating.
0: I didn't know that, although I do believe it because I have preteen and a teenager and they will only get in touch with me. And You're I can only communicate right. with them. if they're not in my house via text, a exactly. <laughs> phone call. Inside. Even, if, you don't even, know even if they're in aliens. your house, they're still texting you. You know,
1: it's crazy. <laughs> From the
2: downstairs to the upstairs. It's awful. Yes. Yes. We have that here. All right. So I'll take the next one then, if you will, Sheila. I have a couple guesses myself, but what is your most used app on your
1: phone? Well, I use them all. So, but I would say that I love music more than television. So I listen to iTunes a lot, um, all genres. And um, of course, Amazon and my airline apps. (laughs) So those are the ones I use quite frequently. Although I will say, I will say too, what's what the medical industry is coming up too. So there's now a lot more, because of COVID, there's a lot more apps associated with fitness and medical, and and that's being used, you know, as frequently as well. So they're, 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 they're progressing with those experiences.
2: Absolutely. Next one, a couple more for you, Sheila. When talking with other business leaders as well as students and future leaders. What is one piece of advice that you found helpful for yourself or learned throughout your career that you
1: believe would be helpful
2: to someone
1: else? So I think I'd like to break that question up into a couple of phases. So when I talk to students or or women, or women and men, young and career, I really give this piece of advice. You own your career. No one else does. Don't give that away to your manager. Don't give that away to the company. You own your career. And I do this thing every year. I'm super obsessed with Christmas. I love Christmas holiday. But New Year's for me is all about reflection and how the year go. And we now have this tradition in our family that what did we do? What are we proud of this year? What's a duo? What do we wish we have a duo over on? Who do we need to apologize to? So we go through this massive kind of reflection. Part of that is also about, you know I like to think about what job would I like to have in three years from now? One year is too short, three years is too long. And I've done this for years. So be planful about what you want to go do but your next job is that you want and be thoughtful about it and have your SWOT analysis done, your strengths and weaknesses, et cetera, and be thoughtful about like, if I really want to go be the CIO for a company, what skills don't I have today that I need to go get? And the one thing i say on this one is if you don't have the skills uh, for, for something, like for example, if you don't know really finance scares you or you don't know how to write, read a and then go volunteer to be the treasurer at your church. I mean, there's a whole bunch of ways you can get those skills. That aren't just at work and you can actually give back to the community, and it's there's safe environments for you to learn those skills. So I just want to call that out. So one comment on that is to be planful. You own your career. But the next thing I'm gonna say might sound a bit contra- contradictory, but be available. There are moments in your career that somebody will see something in you that you don't necessarily see in yourself, and you wanna make sure that when they tap you on the shoulder and they say, you know, I really think you should go do X or Y, and you're sitting yourself thinking, hmm. I'm not qualified to do that. I'm not sure I can do that. I'm not sure, you know. I don't, here's all the things I, I don't think I could do. Stop. <laughs> don't do that. You know, reflect on it. Think about it. A leader or someone has seen something in you that they think you have the potential. Going back to my first comment about being an athlete, think about it, absorb it, and then even if you don't know everything, that's when you should go. I've had my biggest growth moments in my career when I'm super nervous. I got butterflies in my stomach. It's not everything about the job that I know. And that's where you grow the most. The good news is that you apply your experiences, you apply your your style, you you apply your knowledge to that that new world. And you're going to learn the piece that you don't know really well just through experience, learning, and asking questions. So for the young, um, young adults and young professionals in the audience, be planful, but be available. To my other kind of peer business leaders and, you know, Business leaders, I would just say, if you're a business leader, that that really, really explore the use of technology. Technology is now available to solve most complex business problems. It's not the only thing, as I go back to the four pillars, but it is available to solve your business, your complex problems. So test things, PO, do POCs. You know, have your team showcase that opportunity because it really can can really deliver some significant growth to your company.
0: my gosh. Sheila, thank you so much for joining us today. I I can't tell you what a pleasure it's been speaking with you, having you share thoughts and insights with not only Kim and myself, but our our entire community of listeners for the Innovation Engine podcast. Um, Where and how can people get in touch with you online? Is LinkedIn, if somebody wants to reach out and maybe just connect and or connect with a question, what's the best way for someone to reach out to you?
1: Yes, LinkedIn. I'm very social. I'm pretty much out there LinkedIn or Twitter, but LinkedIn is preferred. Okay, perfect. Perfect.
0: Again, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank,
1: thank you sure. very much. It was fun. Thank you.
0: This has been an episode of the Innovation Engine, a podcast from 3Pillar Global. If you have questions, comments, or guest suggestions, email us at info at 3